you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you open them please to the Gospel of John? Specifically, John chapter 10, verse 10. On Sunday morning, we're in a sermon series entitled, How to Pray. Two weeks ago, we learned how to pray for our nation, the United States of America that desperately needs our prayers. Last week, we learned how to pray for our church, Miles Road Baptist Church. And we, too, need prayer. This morning, we're looking at how to pray for our homes, because our homes need prayer as well. John chapter 10, verse 10. The words of the Lord Jesus Christ, as he makes a comment, a statement about our adversary, about our enemy, notice what he says. The thief, the adversary, the enemy, he comes but for one reason, to steal to kill, and to destroy. The thief, the one who Jesus called a liar and a murderer, our enemy, our opponent, Jesus says he has a plan. He has a purpose. He comes to steal. And what he steals, he will murder. And what he murders, he will destroy earthly and eternally. Please allow me to introduce myself, if you would. Pastor Jim will be back in just a little while. Some of you know me by the name of Belizebub. Others of you know me by the name of Lucifer. Many of you call me Satan, but most of you know me as the devil, which is fine. I know that there's some in your world that would say, I do not exist. They would doubt me. They would deny me. But I assure you, I am alive and I am well. I've been around a long time. I was there when the angels rebelled against God in heaven. And they were tossed down. I was there when Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, sinned against God. And they were tossed out. I was there when Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights without food or water. In fact, I talked with him. And I made him some offers I thought he couldn't refuse. But he did. I was there during the great persecution of the Christians by the Roman Caesars. I was there in the Holocaust against the Jews by the Nazis. 
I was there when the German tanks blitzkrieged Western Europe. I was there when the Japanese planes struck Pearl Harbor. I was with the Islamic terrorist on September 11th when they crashed into your towers and the Pentagon and almost got the Capitol. I was there at Ford's Theater when an American president was assassinated. I was there in a book depository in Dallas, Texas, when another one of your presidents died. I was in a rooming house in Memphis, Tennessee, when Martin Luther King was shot. I was at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles when a U.S. Senator running for president was murdered. Oh, I've been around a long time, much longer than you would think. And not only have I been around a long time, if I must say so, I know a lot of people. I know a who's who, if you might say, of history. Many of them I would call my friends. I knew Cain when he murdered his brother. I knew Thutmose II when he defied God and Moses. I knew Caiaphas and Pontius Pilate when they gave the thumbs down to crucify Jesus. I knew Nero when he took Paul's head off his shoulders. I knew Genghis Khan and Ivan the Terrible and Valid the Impaler, and Attila the Hun. I was with them in their culture of death they brought wherever they went. I knew Mao Zedong, Joseph Stalin, and Adolf Hitler. I was very close to them. I knew Jeffrey Dahmer, and Ted Bundy, and Jack the Ripper, and Dennis Rader. Oh, I, I know a lot of people. I've been around a long time. And I am well-traveled. I've got a passport to every country in the world. I've been to Cambodia. I walked in the killing fields of Pol Pot. I've been to Western and Eastern Europe. I visited the concentration camps where the vermin were slaughtered. I went to the compound of Jim Jones where nearly a thousand people died. I was there at the Marine barracks in Lebanon when hundreds of your treasured Marines blew up. Oh, I, I, I've been around. I've got an impressive resume, would you not say? I've been around a long time. I know a lot of people. I've experienced a lot of things. 
but I'm not through yet. You might think I'm going to retire, but no, 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 I'm not through yet. I believe my best days are yet to come. Of late, I have been directing my attention to homes just like yours. And some of the homes that I go to, do you know I'm a welcomed guest? I'm greeted at the door with a smile and a handshake, and I I get to come in. In other homes, it's not quite like that. I have to crash the party, you might say. Home invasion, you might say. But I get in. But however I get into the homes that I visit, I always bring mayhem, I always bring misery, and I always leave behind, when I say goodbye, shattered lives. I try to visit 10,000 homes a day in America. So you be patient, if you would. I'm coming to your home real soon. Now, you might be thinking that you're going to keep me out of your home. Well, let me help you save your time and money. I can tell you this, your philosophy and your religion isn't going to keep me out of your home. Your chants and your charms and your crucifixes around your neck, they might protect you from vampires and werewolves, but they won't protect you from me. All your pills and all your potions and all your psychologies and all your programs are of no avail. All your schemes and all your devices and all of your protections are ineffective. Save your time and money. Why don't you just let me in? Because I am coming to your home, you know that. And when I come, I will take no prisoners. I'll show no mercy. I'll give no quarter. I'll cut no deals. I'll show your home what hell is all about. And then I'll drag your loved ones and you to hell with me. See you later. A lady who was known for saying very positive things about everybody was asked if she could say something positive about the devil. She thought for a moment and she said, I sure can. What he does, he does well. Jesus said he has come to your home, to my home. He comes to pay a visit, and he comes to steal, and he comes to murder, and he comes to destroy. As we learned two weeks ago, Satan has his hands around the neck of America. God help America. 
Satan has his hands around many churches in America. God help those churches. And today as you look at me and I look at you. Satan has his hands around many homes. Maybe some in this church. And God help those homes. What can we do against this one who's coming to our home? And maybe he's already visited your home. What can we do? Pastor, is there anything we can do? We just lock the doors and hide under the beds and hope that he'll bypass us. Is there anything we can do? Yes, 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 and a thousand times yes. There is something we can do. It's called faith. We can call upon the name of the Lord. And we can ask Him to give us His wisdom. We can ask Him to give us His power. We can ask Him to fill not only ourselves, but our home with His omniscience and His omnipotence. That when the devil comes, he will not get in. He'll be forced to leave. Praying Americans can save this nation. Praying church members can save a church. And praying parents and God-grandparents can save a home. That's not my opinion. My opinion's no better than yours. The Bible says the effectual, fervent prayers of righteous people availeth much. When God's people who are called by His name will effectually and fervently pray to God and invite God to bring His wisdom and power into their situation, into their circumstance, into their home, He will come and it will make a difference. Today, just two things I want to lay on your heart. The first, the home has been attacked. The home has been attacked. And some of you can amen it because you know it, your home has been attacked. You've had visitation from the one who comes to steal and kill and destroy. But he's coming to all of our homes. Just because he hasn't gotten to yours yet doesn't mean you're forgotten. He's coming. So the attack on our home is what I first want to look at today. Somebody has wisely said the American home has become a battlefield. And the casualties are everywhere. Inside the American home. 3,000 divorces, 1,100 abortions, 1,000 out-of-wedlock pregnancies, 1,500 new consumers of alcohol and illegal drugs, 13 suicides, 4,000 cases of abuse or criminal activity perpetrated on the members of the home. 8,000 new cases 
of STDs, sexually transmitted diseases. That's what's going on in the American home. You say, Pastor, that's not too bad for a whole year. Oh, it's not for a whole year. Pastor, that's not too bad, I suppose, for a whole month. It's not for a whole month. Pastor, it's not too bad for a whole week. It's not for the whole week. It's every single day. Monday through Sunday, every single day. 3,000 husband and wives will tear up their covenant with God and their contract of marriage and walk away. 1,100 babies will be murdered in clinics because they're unwanted or they're inconvenient to the lifestyle of the mother or family. 1,000 girls, hardly out of childhood, will become pregnant with child without husband. 1,500 new teenagers every year, every day of every year will experiment with alcohol and drugs for the first time and many of them will become alcoholics and addicts. 13 young people who have everything to live for will take their life with their hands. 4,000 children and teenagers will be abused in some way, shape, or form. Usually by somebody in the family. 8,000 new cases of venereal disease. And many of them will have no cure, and it will be with the person the rest of their life. The home has been attacked. There was a time in our lives when the womb was the safest place a baby could be. Not no more. One and a half million babies every year are killed in their own mother's womb in the holocaust of abortion. It used to be the home was the safest place for a woman and her children, but not anymore. Our homes have become filled with violence and abuse and fear and danger as never before. Many sociologists say you are more dangerous in your own home than you are in the streets of Chicago or New York. God, what has happened to our homes? I know many people would say, well, pastor, there's many reasons for it, and I would agree. The reasons are many and they're varied. But the point of it is this. The home that you and I know is about one generation from extinction. It's going the way of the Triceratops and the Stegosaurus and the Tyrannosaurus Rex. It's going the way of the dinosaurs. If something doesn't radically and dramatically change, the home as you and I know it will cease to exist in one generation from now. And those that are in our homes 
are going the way of Humpty Dumpty. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall, but Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put him back together again. When you look at mommies and daddies and children in the home, what do you see? You see parents and children that have been pushed off the wall of life, and they've been splattered into a million pieces on the pavement of this world. And all of our government programs and all of our educational systems, all of our medical technology, all of our experts in psychiatry and sociology, they have nothing to offer. And so those million pieces lie there to Satan. The great custodian comes and sweeps them to hell. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the assessment of the home. I wish I could tell you it was my assessment, but people far smarter than I are releasing these statistics and making these statements. The home is under attack as never before. What can we do? President Bush said, America has been attacked on 9-11. And America shall be defended. That wouldn't be a bad statement for you and I to make this morning. Our homes have been attacked. But they will not be attacked with impunity. They will be defended. The attack of our homes, but the prayers for our homes. Prayer. Prayer is the answer. In Mark chapter 10, verse 51, it's interesting. Jesus is going about doing ministry as he did. And he comes to a man who's been blind for a long time. The blind man's name is Bartimaeus. Because, blind, because Bartimaeus is blind, ladies and gentlemen, his world is just a begging corner of a city. That's his world. Just a little piece of dirt on the corner of the city. Because he's blind, he's limited in his mobility, he's limited in his experiences, he's poor. He wears rags. He's sickly. Nobody wants anything to do with him. And when he dies, the street sweepers will just come and pick up his body, throw it in the cart, take it to the burning dump, and he will be burnt. The religious leaders of that day, the politicians of that day, wanted nothing to do with him. He couldn't vote, and he couldn't give. He was just a piece of human trash. And Jesus passes by. And Jesus stops and he looks at blind Bartimaeus and he says, what may I do for you? Isn't that a strange question to ask a man who's blind? What can I do for you? 
But what it tells us is this, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is a gentleman. And he does not go where he's not asked. He does not save someone who doesn't want to be saved. He doesn't heal someone who doesn't want to be healed. He doesn't deliver someone who doesn't want to be delivered. He doesn't pick up someone who doesn't want to be picked up. He's a gentleman. And he walks by, and I know in his mind he's thinking, Bartimaeus, if you would but ask, I would give you sight. And Bartimaeus says, Lord, I wish I could see. The idea behind that story is, Jesus will come into our homes if we will but ask. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. Those are great prayer promises. And they all have to do with an invitation. Lord, I ask you, I seek you, and I knock at your door. Would you come with your wisdom and power and visit my home? And protect my spouse and protect my children, even as you protect me from the one who is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. How do we invite Jesus? Bold prayer. Continual prayer. Specific prayer. But prayer. You've heard me say many times that the best prayers to pray are prayers where you bring back to God His promises to Him. When you pray Scripture, you're always praying the will of God. What God has said is what God will do. Do you understand that? And when you remind God what He has said, it moves God to do what he said even more and even quicker. Sometimes as a granddaddy, I overspeak. I, I have a hard time saying no to grandchildren. I get lectured about it. I'm told I ought not to be so quick. But it's just a flaw in your pastor, I suppose. Don't you laugh, that's a flaw in you too. But sometimes I'll make a promise, if you will, that I'm going to do something. And then after I make it, I kind of think, well, I don't know that I got the money to do what I just said. I don't know that I got the time to do what I just said. I don't know that I can do it, what I just said. Maybe she will forget. Maybe she'll just... Get preoccupied and it'll float in that little ear and flow out the other and be gone forever. I believe children have a little bit of elephant in them. They never forget. And it'll be days and weeks even. And all of a sudden, Granddaddy, you promised... And I can't go back on my promise. So the time will be found, the money will be found, a way will be found to keep my word. Listen, 
God is a father and God is a grandfather. And he tells his promises in his word. He doesn't need to be reminded. He knows. And by the way, he's going to do what he says. But when we go to him and we say, Lord, do you remember what you said? I believe in some way that I can't explain to you. It prompts him to move quicker and faster on matters. Because he has said we can pray. Now, what are some things that we can pray for, parents and grandparents, for our children? As we're going to engage the enemy who's going to visit our home one day. And maybe he's already came. Let me give you seven things that I believe are worthy of our prayers. Because remember, the Lord wants us to pray specifically. He wants us to pray constantly, continually. He wants us to pray boldly. So what are some things that we can pray for? These are not magical things. You could add to the list or you could delete from the list. But these are seven things that I think are very important. That parents and grandparents pray for their children and grandchildren as frequently as possible. And it comes from scripture, by the way. Because what you're going to do when you pray this prayer, you tie it to what God has already said. So you're praying in his will. Does that make sense to you? You're not asking God to do something that he doesn't want to do and you've got to reluctantly make him. <coughs> You're asking God to do what he's already said he'll do. Just expedite it, Lord. Give me a peace about it, Lord. First thing to pray for our children about, no matter what size they may be, little guys, medium guys, big guys, pray that our children, that our children, will hear the call of God in their life. And there will be nothing to hinder them from coming. God is in the calling business. And He makes visitations to every person who's been ever born. And He calls them to come. Sometimes the call is to salvation. Sometimes it's to service. But God is in the calling business. May we pray that when God calls our children, they will hear. And there will be nothing to hinder or to halt them from coming. Was it not Jesus who said, suffer the little children and forbid them not? Forbid them not to come. For these who come are what the kingdom of heaven is made of. That was the Lord's desire, that children would come to him and there would be nothing to block their path, whether it be human or otherwise. May we pray, first of all, for our children this morning that they would hear the call of God and that they would come without any impediments. Secondly, may we pray that our children will answer the call of God when they hear it. And they will be saved. You see, it's one thing to hear the call. It's one thing to be able to come to where the call is coming from. 
But they must say yes to the call. Salvation is a personal thing. I cannot save my children or grandchildren, and neither can you. But we can pray that when they hear the call of God, there would be nothing stopping them from coming, and they will say yes. Yes, Lord, I put my faith in you. Yes, Lord, I repent of my sin. Yes, Lord, come into my life and be my Savior. You say, Pastor, how do I know it's God's will to save my child? Because it's God's will that not any should perish, but all should come to life. You can remind him that when you pray. God, it's not your will that any should perish, including my son, my daughter, my grandson, my granddaughter. It's your desire they be saved, and it's my desire they be saved, Lord. Would you honor your word in behalf of my request? Thirdly, we pray that when our children hear the call and they come to the call and they answer the call, we pray that they would live the call. The third prayer is, Lord, would you have your Holy Spirit do a sanctifying work in their life? That they might fulfill the commandments of your word. You say, Pastor, there's a lot of commandments in the Bible. You're right. But you know, Jesus was a remarkable teacher because he had a way of capsulizing and summarizing things. The best teachers I know, they can take something complex and they can simplify it. They can take something that takes hours to understand and they can teach it to you in 30 seconds. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandments? He said, that's simple. Love the Lord thy God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, the vertical, and then love others as you love yourself, the horizontal. When you do that, you have formed the cross, and that's what it's all about. May we pray that our children, as they've answered the call and have given their life to Jesus, that all the days of their life they will love the Lord and they will love others. And if they do that, all the other commandments will fall into place. May we pray that our children, fourthly, will marry godly spouses. There's nothing more tragic than a son of God to marry the daughter of the devil. Or the daughter of God to marry the son of the devil. And yet it happens all the time. It's not too early to pray, even though your children might be little toddlers, that God would give them the wisdom when that time comes to marry somebody of like faith. Was it not Paul writing in 2 Corinthians 6.14 who said, Do not be unequally yoked. Do not marry somebody that has a different faith or no faith. Marry somebody of like faith. What does darkness have with light? What does oil have with water? What does the devil have with God? And the clear answer is nothing. Pray that your children and grandchildren will marry the right spouse. If they do, they'll have heaven on earth. If they don't, they'll have hell on earth. Fifthly, pray that our children's minds will be protected from the negativity and the nastiness of this world. 
You know what the devil wants is your children and grandchildren's minds. That's why the communists have always took children from the parents early on. Socialistic, communistic nations, they want the children as soon as they're born. They want them put into government schools as early as one or two years old. You say, well, pastor, they're just concerned about the welfare of the children. No, they're not. They know that if you can put a child before them and allow them to be indoctrinated and propagandized over the first six years of their life, you will have them forever. The battle is for the mind. And we must pray that God would protect the minds of our children and grandchildren that they might have a Philippians 4, 8 mind, that whatsoever things are honest or just or pure or lovely or of a good report, these would be the things that would be in their mind. Because what's here is what comes out here and what comes out here. What's in the well determines what the water will be. Pray that your child's mind would be protected. Sixthly, pray that your child will learn by your example what it means to serve and give to the Lord. Notice I said by your example, not by your exhortation, your example. The best way to teach a child to serve the Lord is you serve the Lord. The best way to teach a child to give to the Lord is for you to give to the Lord. Mom and Daddy, why don't you serve the Lord? Because we're too busy, son. I understand, Daddy. Oh, he sure does understand, don't he? Mom and Daddy, why don't you tithe? Oh, we don't. We just give when we feel like it, son. Don't you? I understand, Daddy. I understand. When you serve the Lord, let your children know you serve the Lord. Let them see you in service. When you give to the Lord, let them see that tithing check sitting on the counter. Let them see that mom and dad support the work of the church. Let them see that mom and dad work for the good of the church. Let them see when you witness. Teach them. That when you die and hand the baton off to them, they'll be able to run the next race longer and further than you and I could. Pray that our children would see that example in us. And then maybe seventhly we could pray for our children's protection. Was it not in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus said, Deliver us from evil. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Maybe we should pray that the shed blood of the Lamb of God would be put on the doorpost of their little lives. That when the angel of death comes, he will not be able to enter in. There's power in the blood. Those are just some suggestions. But no suggestion is any good if it's just 
listened to and wrote down on a piece of paper and never done. I'm calling the parents and grandparents of this church, no matter how old your children or grandchildren may be, no matter what situation and circumstance they find themselves in, no matter what your past is, I'm asking us to start afresh, to start anew this morning and pray for our children and grandchildren. You can't unscramble eggs, but you can ask God to come in and fix things that are broken. Put the broken pieces back together again. Restore relationships Renew the trust. And he can do that. But remember, he doesn't come where he is not asked. You must deliberately, of your own free will, ask him to come into these situations. And when he comes, you'll know it. I know some of you think these are some mighty heavy messages lately. And I tell you they are. They're not the joy boy messages you're going to hear on TV. There's a time and place for those messages, but I don't believe it's right now. The captain on the Titanic that ill-fated ocean liner that sank into the North Atlantic, taking with it multiple hundreds, if not thousands, of lives. That captain has been criticized because he did not sound the alarm when he knew the boat was sinking. He didn't want to panic the passengers. He thought everything would work out okay. So as this giant, massive ocean liner filled with thousands of people has been fatally gashed and is beginning to sink into the ocean. The band plays on. The people dance the night away. The restaurants and the bars are still open for business. The passengers are playing shuttleboard and taking a dip in the evening in the pools. Some are working out. The gambling parlors, they're exchanging monies. And others are sleeping soundly in their cabins. Not a care in the world. Why didn't he sound the alarm? Wouldn't be popular. It would get people riled up. People don't want to hear that kind of information. So he said nothing till it was too late. And one of the greatest maritime disasters of all time occurred. Ladies and gentlemen, our nation is sinking. Look up here at me. And you can say that's negative, and you can say that's pessimistic, and you can say that's what, not what we want to hear. I'm telling you the truth. 
And our churches in America are sinking. And our homes in America are sinking. And you can sit here and say, I don't want to hear it. You can close your eyes. You can dismiss it as nonsense and rhetoric. But there will come a day when you'll see my face again. And you'll hear my words again. And you'll ask the question, why didn't I listen? Why didn't I listen? I have no freedom anymore. I'm a serf of the state. I have no church anymore. The doors have been shut closed. And my family, I don't know where half of them at and the other half's going to hell. Why didn't I listen? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. This can be our finest hour, ladies and gentlemen. I'm telling you, this can be our finest hour. History one day can say, there was a group of believers at Miles Road Baptist Church who prayed, and God heard their prayers and gave America another span of years. One day, may it be said in heaven, there was a band of believers at Miles Road Baptist Church who prayed, and God protected their church. And God used their church to bring revival and a great awakening to the church world that allowed more people to be saved before the end came. May it be said in our home that mom and daddy made the difference. That a praying daddy and a praying mama and a praying grandmama and a praying granddaddy kept this one who is evil from coming into our home with his mayhem and misery and shattering it. How will I know if you pray for this nation? How will I know if I pray for this nation? Because 20 years from now, America will still be. That's how we'll know. How will I know if you pray for this church and how will you know if I pray for this church? Because the doors will be still open 20 years from now. That we won't be a honky-tonk or a hardware store. The ground won't be leveled for an apartment complex. We'll still be here. How will you know and how will I know if we prayed for our homes? We'll know when heaven's roll call is called. 
will our children's and grandchildren's names be called? Will I hear Jason, Justin, and Jamie? Will I hear Amanda, Nikki, and Katie? Will I hear Alyssa, and Jacob, and Joshua, and Addie? Or will I not hear their names? If there was ever a time to pray, it is now. Miss Barbara plays quietly, or should I say softly. If you feel compelled to leave your seat, come and just stand here and pray for your children and grandchildren by name. You come. There's something about leaving a seat and coming before God and praying for them. It doesn't have to be a long prayer. Just a simple coming and calling their name could mean everything. You know the names of your children and grandchildren. I don't. If you wish to stand at your seat because you can't get up here, it's a little crowd. That's fine. When the visitation comes, I will not be caught off guard. The devil's not going to come and steal from my home. He's not going to come and murder my family. He's not going to come and destroy. Maybe in the past he's had a field day, but that's over now. Today I declare a new beginning. I declare a fresh start. The white flag of surrender is being taken down and the flag of a king and a kingdom that will be forever and ever is being raised up. And as many parents and grandparents are praying, Maybe you're here today without Jesus yourself. All I can do is tell you this one who is on the loose and on the prowl is after you too. And if you don't know the Lord is your Savior, if you just got some religion, He's going to destroy you. You have no defense against Him. Absolutely zero. Maybe you're here today and you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior. Sam Knight is standing here in a suit with an orange shirt on in the center. If you would leave your seat and come to him, he will explain have someone explain to you how you can give your life to Christ. Be gloriously saved, born again, sins forgiven. <coughs> Go to heaven. Sir, would you need to come? Would you come right now?
You say, Pastor, I don't understand it. That's okay. You come. We'll explain it to you. We'll help you. Maybe you're here today and you're not a member of a church. But you sense you need to be part of a family. You need two families in this day and age in which we live. You need your blood family and you need a church family. We invite you to come and maybe speak to Sam. And say, Sam, we would like to be part of this church. Sand in the hourglass of time is rapidly emptying out. What we're going to do, we better do now. Heavenly Father, I've rang the bell as best as I can. I pray all have heard the bell ring. I pray that all have understood the urgency of the ringing of the bell. And I pray that we would respond. May history be kind to us because of the way we respond in this hour of emergency. May it be said of us as it was said of those in World War II. It was our finest hour. May it not be said of us, we were shamed. We fumbled the ball. We blew it. God, help us be faithful. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.